Welcome to another edition of the Coffee Cast with Cation and Ruben, powered by Behind the Racket. Mike Cation, joined in London by Noah Rubin. Noah, uh, you've got a match tomorrow. You, you sure you're able to do this today? Yes. Uh, again, you know, people watch three hours of cartoons. I could do a 30-minute podcast. Yeah, but but it is a little different, you know. I mean, yeah, I'm relaxing. It's it's very cathartic okay. talking to you. <laughs> well, that's that's what I go for. Uh, that's exactly <laughs> what my therapist says as well. Oh, um, <laughs> I'm watching right now, by the way, as we're taping this, just so people have an understanding of timing-wise. As we start recording, Coco Goff and Venus Williams on court, and I have to say, just because they're my sponsor, the New Balance kit that that Coco is wearing is absolutely amazing the gold new balance logo is fantastic so check out that look and many others at newbalance.com sponsor of this coffee cast since its inception noah the big news for you of course uh, coming through qualifying uh, I, I know you and i have joked about it off off this podcast but people kind of thinking you had retired because of all these uh, extra <laughs> activities in your life but uh, i know that's that's an important moment for you to qualify for a slam it is, and especially one like Wimbledon, which is so prestigious, but you are playing at a different site. It's been five years since I've been at the main site of Wimbledon. I almost forgot where I was going. So this was, no, it was, you know, a super incredible moment for me. Um, and again, you know, happiness prevailed. I wasn't really necessarily prepared as well as I could have been, but I was just ready to fight and be out there and, you know, look where it took me. So it was really great. Yeah, I, watching some of the videos uh, that Jamie, your girlfriend, uh, took uh, somebody else from right behind the court right after you clinched in the fourth, just this look of exhaustion, uh, as well as you could tell just sincere happiness and relief from you. And I, I don't know if that's accurate, but that was my sense of it. Yeah, I mean, you don't play three out of five too often, but it was more of just the nerves. I mean, once I got into the final round, I was like, let's leave it all out here. That's all you can do. And playing a guy like Yannick, who's, I know very well, good friends with him, but he's an incredibly tough opponent on almost any surface. Um, he was playing some great ball, and you know, I think we went, he did the same thing I did at the end. And it was just, you know, it was just a really great match all around. I played well, and I'm excited to play first round tomorrow. Yeah, Jay Clark is somebody that uh, challenger uh, streamers, if you will, are quite familiar with. Uh, what's your relationship been with him? Actually, I mean, you know, I won't say that. I would say we're friends. I mean, we, we say hi to each other. Um, we haven't spent much time together, but he was actually at the USTA National Tennis Center. Um, I'm sorry, in Orlando, National Campus in Orlando. And we talked there. He's a super nice guy. Um, it's going to be a great match. We're obviously very closely ranked. Similar results this year, so we'll we'll see. Um, I think the qualifying gave me, you know, some great momentum. Um, I'm feeling good, and I'm just excited to be there. Really, I don't really care about the matchup as much. I was just happy to be in Wimbledon. So let's talk about the big differences between qualifying and the main draw. Obviously, the the money is good, the points are great. Um, what what are the major things that happen? from Thursday to, say, Saturday in terms of your life and what you get to do, what you get to experience? <laughs> Respect? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, literally, I mean, yes, like you said, points, money, all of that. But the respect that comes with being in the main draw of a slam and – like we prefaced this with saying, people thought I was retired. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of got that off my plate a little bit, like saying, yeah, I might be, you know, taking things a little slow, but here I am still playing some pretty good tennis. And 
it's all of that that comes with it. And then you get your name in the spotlight and it gives a platform for stuff like Behind the Racket and our podcast and everything like that. And it really it helps everything out. I mean, winning isn't everything, but it does certainly help. <laughs> yeah, the, the finances, I think, too. Um, in, and we've, we obviously have already done one um, episode dedicated to finances and we'll do some more in the near future. But in, in terms of just that money of first round of slams and how much that just sets you up um, so you're not worried about money for a period of time. It's it saves me for the rest of the year, basically. I mean, you know, in my head, I was saying, oh, you know, I'll, I'll get about seven to ten thousand dollars for losing first round. And, you know, that, that would be pretty good money just to come here, enjoy a few days and go home. But obviously now you're talking about some real money and now you're thinking I'm okay maybe for the next three, four, five months where I can just relax and just play tennis. Yeah, that's it it really again shows the disparity between the the haves and the haves nots in our sport. Um, The other big issue coming out of Wimbledon the last couple of days is obviously what's happened with the ATP Player Council. Um, Several resignations, a a new member replacing Justin Gimmelstab, and I'm I'm wondering from your perspective what you have heard, what you have seen uh, being on site as opposed to somebody reading about it on on Twitter and various news sites. I think there's just a total frustration, and I think, you know, it comes in waves as everything does, you know, when somebody takes the first step, people follow, but there's a total frustration and amongst all the players and I'm seeing it and I know we're not seeing the resignations and all of that, but I'm seeing it on the women's side, speaking to women's tennis players and hearing their point of view as well. It's really sad. Um, it feel, I feel like I, I have this sense of, there's a sense of urgency, but also and desperation, but like nothing is going to get done and it's so sad because they feel like there's things that need to get done just like the rest of us but nobody's you know moving it along and the people at the top so they're just frustrated they're like i'm wasting my time i'm a, f- a professional tennis player i want to do this for my sport but if things aren't getting done what's the point yeah and that's kind of the overview of everything and and i feel like people are just kind of giving up and it's it's kind of sad to look you see this um overview of just gleaminess and and, and gloominess and i don't know it's a tough tough thing to see and that's what we've been talking about of this sport taking you know a toll on the players and and kind of seeing it die out a little bit and this is a worry this is how it starts it's these little steps one thing that Vashik has been talking about, Vashik Pospisil, uh, who did lose today, but was, uh, nice to see him back out on court, something we talked about a couple of weeks ago, but um, just the, the lack of adequate player representation um, in terms of legal representation, that the, the lawyers are being shared uh, between tournaments and players with the ATP. Um, and, I, and I'm wondering if you have had an opportunity to look into that particular uh, aspect of representation. I have not. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to have an agent who is actually a lawyer by trade, so I feel protected in that sense. But there is no way to go beyond that to really see the broader picture and say, this is not okay. The sport of tennis is not okay right now and is taking advantage of the players. And that I think we need collectively as, you know, as a whole team to say, Let's let's get up in front of these guys and really have a talk with them because obviously the player council is just not enough. It needs more of a force behind it. And I think we can get there. I really do. I just think people can't be afraid and they have to care enough. I think there's definitely a few players that are just not forward enough with their mentality, not forward enough with their actions, and we have to get them there. 
So I'm going to ask a, a dumb question here. Um, I, 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 I don't know who the guy is that got elected. So, and, and I know that might sound really kind of stupid, but like, I, I don't know who he is. So it, it seems to me like, who, who is this guy? Why is he here? Um, why has that caused so many people to quit? Can you, can you give an average fan an idea of why that's happening and why it's causing such frustration? You know, I don't know if they're mutually exclusive, but I just have an understanding, again, that there are so many issues and the ways that they try to solve them seems to be the same thing over and over again. And the fact that we don't necessarily have a close relationship with all the people trying to protect us doesn't give us a sense of hope and security. And I think that's the issue. And I think, again, I don't think it was because of this guy coming in that, you know, people are resigning. I just think they're seeing the same thing happen over and over again and the sport not evolving. And that's the issue that everything they put into it, you know, whatever effort they're putting in and the player council is putting in, it's like, why would I be, you know, wasting my time necessarily when I am a professional tennis player and my efforts aren't going anywhere? Hmm. You know, they, they see no light at the end of the tunnel. Weller Evans is the gentleman's name, a former ATP executive, and I don't mean to just say it's just a random guy. He obviously has uh, history within the sport, uh, quite a bit of it. But, yeah, it's just one of those names that when you hear player counsel and you see somebody named Weller Evans who hasn't necessarily been involved as a player of, of late, it, it bothers me on that, that perspective. And so it leads me to this question. And we are going to get into the meat of our, our podcast today, which is going to be about television. But... Why wouldn't you, as someone who has taken this this idea pretty seriously of you wanting to change the game, are you, Noah Rubin, going to try to step forward and become a member of the Player Council? I am not saying no. I just have ways of doing it myself. And obviously, since the Player Council doesn't seem to be the most efficient way, I'm using my platform. I'm almost... I don't want to say Trojan horsing because I don't want to say that I am necessarily betraying anybody or giving false hope. I am giving myself the platform. I am befriending everybody. I am trying to show that I am on the same side as the ATP, as tennis channels, everybody, because I have the same hope in mind to evolve tennis into a sport that everybody loves. With that being said, I feel like I am getting the best direct contact for myself at the moment with the way I'm doing it. And they see how much effort I put in. They see how much care I have. And that's given me the necessary platforms. You know, they are small steps, but steps nonetheless to get tennis to a point, to give myself different outlets, to, you know, open the brand up and, and to, have, you know, be in front of the camera as much as possible. And they're giving me that opportunity because they know I am here for the sport. So I am in their best interest as well rather than fighting them. So I, again, I don't want to call the Trojan horse. It's just this idea that I am getting inside of the system almost and you know, making waves within it. And I think they're all for it with the way I'm doing it. And I know it's, you know, people aren't seeing the changes yet, but I, I feel like it's definitely, at least I'm placing a mentality on the minds of some of these people. And it's only gonna, you know, it's only gonna grow from then on. It has certainly uh, shown in terms of the media coverage of not only yourself, but also Vashik Pospisil, um, just showing that there is discontent within the ranks. Um, and I think the media is starting to pick up on that on a larger, uh, more grand scale. Um, and media is something we're talking about a little bit today in terms of television coverage. Uh, I had a couple of suggestions to talk about 
television coverage um, on this particular podcast, uh, all about Tennis Blog and Paul Timmons both wrote in last week. Um, it's a hard sport for television, says all about Tennis Blog. Paul Timmons writing, it's the biggest issue in the game. Um, and he says, I wonder if Noah thinks it's only a fundamental change, only if a fundamental change occurs that that they, fans may be more interested in television, may be more interested, also wants to hear my take on it in terms of what can be done to get the challenger circuit involved a little bit as well. So that's kind of what we're talking about here in the meat of the coffee cast today. And I, I wanted to start just from my perspective about some of the challenger streams. Uh, yes, please. I, it was a USTA program that started back in 2012. Um, Danielle Gooding, who was at the USTA Pro Circuit at the time, um, wanted to give exposure to these tournaments. And, and it was actually just a, a USTA program. And now it's blossomed seven years uh, later where you can watch any challenger two, three courts um, every day. And I, I want to make sure I give Danielle a lot of credit and the USTA a lot of credit. USTA takes a lot of grief for a lot of things, but this is one where I think they were ahead of the curve in, in terms of making sure that there was a free outlet to watch um, their tournaments. It wasn't necessarily about uh, you know the, all of the players necessarily. They wanted to support American players and these American tournaments. And, and I think the USTA deserves a lot of credit for that. That being said, um, I, I think it really shows the, the difference in, in terms of just availability for tennis to be on a, uh, an available platform. Today, as I'm trying to watch, uh, I have just an ESPN. I don't have ESPN Plus, and I'm trying to watch some, some Wimbledon today. And I have some matches that I can watch on ESPN3, and then some that I have to pay another five bucks for on ESPN Plus. Tennis Channel with their extra subscription on top of just their um, standard uh, terrestrial viewing. It is a very difficult sport to watch in, in many different ways. And, and from a player's perspective, where are you at in, in terms of your uh, exposure and what you would like to see change um, with regard to television? I mean, I think it's brutal. <laughs> I mean, I have my friends and family constantly come up and say, where can I watch you? And me having to say, I don't know. They're like, what do you mean? You're at a higher level tournament. I'm like, I know you're going to have to pay for something. That's all I, uh, that's all I tell them. You're going to have to pay for something, and that's that's awful. <laughs> you know, we have limited amount of fans already. Now we have to tell them you're going to have to pay to watch us. And I think there's ways to bring, you know, you know, chicken before the egg. Like bring the fans first, you know, have, you know, the demand for it, and then, you know, start charging people. You know, you can't just say, yeah, you're going to have to force the 10 people that watch tennis to start paying. And I think that's the problem. And I can't even always rewatch my own matches. And that's, you know, that's usually a benefit to myself. So I know, so you've, you know, dealt with it firsthand and, and you can kind of enlighten people on how vital it's been and how, you know, the extreme access to challenger tour and how incredible that's been for you and and the communication on twitter now because people can watch the matches i mean how great has that been for you yeah no it's been fantastic i i here's here's where it really becomes complicated if you're looking at let's we're going to take a look at tennis channel specifically here um and it's it's complex for both of us i you know listen i want to get hired by tennis channel I would love to work for them. I know you have been uh, trying to do some things with Behind the Racket, so it's this is a complex thing that we're talking about here. Um, but if I'm in Tennis Channel's shoes, I know they, they're they a company. Their goal is not to build the sport. It's to make money. 
right? Uh, that's that's the unfortunate thing. Right. Um, it's it's a very difficult question. I, I've had this conversation about um, John McEnroe as a commentator, and it's really the same thing. I think he has the. Um, I, it's my idea that he has the responsibility to help grow the sport. Um, in, in order to bring it to a bigger audience, which then in turn uh, leads to bigger you know, financial windfalls for everybody involved. The problem is his goal is to make money, to be a, a very successful commentator, just like for the Tennis Channel, their job is to make money. Um, and so if they have the ability to, they know that tennis fans are hardcore about it. Um, that being said, I, I, I really think ESPN and Tennis Channel, I, I do think they missed the boat in terms of making things available. Um, having Tennis Channel uh, you know, Plus and, and the extra $100 that you have to spend for that, I would love for them to say, hey, listen, we'll put Nadal on our, you know, Nadal Federer on our main channel, uh, what goes over the terrestrial airwaves, but you can watch some of the outer courts um, for free. Same thing with ESPN. It drives me batty that I'm having to spend $5 um, to do this. And I know why. They're having all sorts of financial issues as well. But, God, we need to look at it a bigger perspective. I think part of this uh, problem, though, Noah, is the fact that we don't necessarily have a, um, a strong leadership at the top here with, within the ATP WTA in terms of these negotiating contracts. We need to make sure that we have the, that negotiating capability to say, we're not on a pay-per-view service. Um, maybe tennis TV, I, I get that aspect. But if you're ESPN and you're, I mean, God, you're the national network. Get get that sport on as much as possible. You know, make sacrifices. Do it so that people don't have to pay extra. A thousand percent. I, I think, and I, I think it's just more of the idea that, you know, can you sacrifice a little for a lot in the future yes. and people don't have that mentality. And that's so sad because I have a vision of where tennis can be, but the, you know, I'll use the number of a hundred dollars right now is just too bright for them. And they're so worried about losing money, which they probably are anyway, that they'll just take any dollar they can get when, you know, if you lower it a little bit, I'm sure I could tell 40 more people to buy it, you know, kind of thing where they're just so intrigued just to watch a few of my matches just because they're friends more than anything else. And it's just getting everybody on board. And I think you can, again, tell a little bit more about the women's side and the ITF Torah, but men are lucky enough to leave it, you know, to at least have challengers for yeah. free. Right. The yeah. women do not accept in the U.S., uh, again, it's a USTA pilot program um, that broadcasts the, the 60Ks, the 100Ks here in the States. Um, it is not the, the ATP makes sure to fund and help fund the, the, the challengers on the men's side. Um, but yeah, the women only here in the U.S. and, and some sporadic ones around the, the world. Um, I, I don't think it's been something that, that federations are necessarily willing to put forth the money. Um, they don't see it as a necessary expense, so what's the point? Um, again, it, it, this is, it comes down to money, doesn't it? I mean, it, it yes, <laughs> and and everything that I'm arguing comes down to just an antiquated mentality. That's yes. it. I mean, people can't see the future, which you know that's <laughs> that's a cultural thing throughout the world. People are so scared to give up some security blanket they have right now for glamour in the future for success in the future and that's our issue and also it's not a true security blanket because what they find as 
security and just this comfort level I, I see us dying out and that's that's the problem so they think we're just on the steady plane and i think we're decreasing and that's the issue i'm having and i'm i'm you know we'll go back to what we talk about do i think it's a fundamental problem you know that's going to change the sport you know i think it might be i mean again i don't really knock espn because they don't know what to cover i mean are we going to put out you know, an hour and a half, are we going to close off three and a half hours? And then right. what happens if the match goes less? And then do I put two matches on because, you know, not everybody, I mean, it's like, they don't know what to do with tennis. And I understand that. And that's why I think a true fundamental change is really what it's going to take to, you know, make the difference. And this, and the, the season's too long. So you're asking, yeah, you know, that. you know, you're asking all of these true problems and, and ESPN's like one tennis is not, you know, American football, tennis is not baseball or what like we don't want to work this hard for a sport we don't care as much about. Yeah. So not only are we not at the top, but we're also making it tougher. And I think, you know, it changes is the only thing that's gonna make it really better. I think also one aspect that I would like to see change um, in terms of how uh, tennis channel and ESPN cover our sport. I look at the golf model of television coverage. Um, it is, listen, it, like you said, you, you, it's hard to find, you know, saying from two to six and we'll see the end of and conclusion of matches. I want to see more switching back and forth um, between center, court one, court eight, court 12. I want to go boom, boom, boom. If you look at golf coverage, right, you have so much of that downtime that's filled with, um, you know, two com two or three commentators just mm -hmm. kind of riffing about various stuff. I want to be there for two games, and then I want to move out to court 15. And yeah. I want somebody there to talk about court 15 for two minutes. Then I want to go to court 12. And yes, that takes more work. Um, but I, what I can tell you from behind the scenes is the world feed um, is put on by every every Grand Slam at the very least, right? And most of the, the 500s Master Series, at least on the men's side. And the whole point of that is to make sure that there are uh, commentators who are available on all of these courts. It sounds like your your hotel room, you have a phone call. Is yes, everything I okay? <laughs> Everything's okay. <laughs> uh, I, I think Tennis Channel is calling saying, yeah, about that behind the racket. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but I, I want to see more of that because that keeps more viewers entertained as opposed to if you've got – I was watching Milos uh, a little bit today. Milo Shrianic and, and he's just having his way with Gunaswaran and it's just like, okay, I have the ability to flip back and forth between, you know, I think five different courts on ESPN plus, which is nice, but I don't think terrestrial viewers have that same option if, if they're watching a boring, I mean, Novak was I mean, somewhat entertaining yeah. today, but pop around. How many times I want to throw my remote at the TV because I know there's an insane and sometimes like an American matchup at the US Open, but they're playing like. Federer up, you know, two sets in a break. And I'm like, yes. why am I watching this anymore? Yes. Why? And, I, and it kills me. And also with the short attention spans of actual people, yes. it would be unbelievable if you're like, here's a big server, here's a grinding match, you're watching this, you're doing that, you're going there. I'm like, that's perfect. That's You want to get the excitement of every player. But, I mean, you know, do people really want to watch a full match of Kyle Edmund and Munar or do they want to go back and forth and watch Gael Manfi play and then Benoit Paire and, you know, yes. Dimitrov on another court? I mean, these are the problems that we're dealing with day in, day out. And it, it baffles my mind that, I mean, I understand maybe they understand it and they just don't want to do the extra work. But how are we not there yet? I mean, 
it seems a fairly simple change that we can really get behind. I, I completely agree. Again, I think it's the idea of sacrificing the short-term um, frustrations, financial uh, issues that go along with switching back and forth and, and making sure that people have access to that world feed um, on ESPN, on Tennis Channel, whatever it may be. Um, but I, I think those are the... And I, listen, I also should point out, at the challenger level, I mean, I'm I'm on a court all day, right? So yes. we are we are there first ball to last ball. So I know it's it's a little bit different. We also don't have the financial resources to go back and forth between the three courts. If if that's where what it took, I, I'd be happy to do it. Um, we haven't even really touched on the commentary. We haven't. <laughs> we we haven't. I mean, I feel like we're we're going. I mean, so far into because there's just so much to talk about with just TV. I mean. The revenue that comes from TV is what's going to change a sport. I mean, that's yes. how that's how we get the money. And if they don't understand that, then this sport of tennis is doomed to fail eventually. That's just how yeah. it is. I mean, yeah. everything else seems to be improving, and and we're stuck here, you know, in the 1950s. I completely agree, and uh, um, I. I don't know that I will see any of those changes from ESPN on their terrestrial network because, again, most of the people – I just – I'm going to throw in this just little anecdote here to kind of sum this up. When I was down in Little Rock, and I think I even mentioned this mentioned this to you, um, but I, and I Instagrammed it as well. I had this uh, a 16-year-old young man who came up to me and was so excited to meet me because the way he watches tennis is through streams. Mm-hmm. You talk about all these kids coming through juniors right now. This is going to sound uh, like I'm bragging or something. I'm not. But they all know who I am because right. of the fact that they are watching some of the upcoming stars through streams now. You can do that. You can watch it. We need publicity for that. We need to when, – when Kyle Edmund gets to a point, you mentioned Kyle, if he, he was, he's already been top 10. The fact that he's been on streams before, he makes he a breakout. He was playing Binghamton. I played him in Binghamton. Right. <laughs> like, so Riley everybody Opelka. knows this. Yes. Taylor, Taylor winning his first title last week. I mean, Francis, people knew because of all these streams and all these YouTube clips. We have to embrace that, and I, I want to see ESPN do that, and I don't know that they will. I know Tennis Channel tries um, and, and I'm God. I'm so thankful that they're they're streaming uh, on their uh, you know yes excuse me Tennis Channel Plus. They're streaming some challengers challengers this year, and obviously I'm so passionate about it. But God, we need to do more. Um, and and it might be some small financial sacrifices, but I think it's one of those things that pays off in the long run. And making that investment at the smaller, more grassroots level, it really pays off. And I wanted to say one thing, and I know we're close to wrapping up here about commentators uh, and this is maybe for another another podcast and i'm just going to add this to our list of things to talk about later i i, I have worked um, at a couple of slams now uh, australian and u.s and i know how hard you have the ability to work if you want to do a match right i've seen broadcasters and i i think of nick lester and robbie koenig uh, who i've worked with on the world feed on both the u.s and australian mark petchy is another guy who i see put in hours upon hours of work researching uh, players, court speed, um, and I've been lucky enough to learn from them. And then I also see, you know, John McEnroe's the most famous example, right, uh, of a commentator who walks in and just kind of watches a few points and kind of gets an idea for these, these two players who he might not have heard of, and it happens at other levels as well. And all I can say is, again, if you're a commentator, 
invest in invest your time and it makes the sport better it will make you better as a commentator as well and i see so many commentators that do it well and i can list for you i won't here but commentators who don't take that same serious approach to it mm-hmm. and it's frustrating and i want that to be better as well um and, and I know that the financial aspects of, of television and streaming right now are so difficult. But if you are lucky enough to be broadcasting, uh, get your ass in gear and take the time, take the hours before a match to make sure you have every damn fact right and text coaches and other players to find out how they play. Do whatever you can. There are going to be moments where you get thrown into a match last second, but damn it, do something. Do something. We're just not fortunate enough in the sport of tennis to have poor performances from anybody. And, and that's a tough pressure to put on everybody, but we have to work together to put in a hell of an effort to get our sport to a point where it's incredible, where it can be, where everybody loves it. And I totally agree with what you're saying. If you have the opportunity to make an impact, no matter how small in the sport, and they're giving you the opening – Make it. Put your best foot forward. That's it. I, I will say we do all, as commentators, have poor performances. I've had some shitty days. <laughs> <laughs> well, so do us players and more than a few. So, But the effort, that's it. <laughs> yes, yes. And, I, and I, if, if there are people who are with the Tennis Channel who are listening and have some rebuttals, please get in touch with me, Mike C. Tennis. I'm happy to talk about it and get some better understanding. I know Noah, Noah Rubin 33 at his various platforms as well. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and, and then we're just kind of, again, these these 30-minute podcasts are just starting the discussion. We want to hear from you as well. Um, all about Tennis Blog, Paul Timmons. Thank you for getting us started on this topic. And we'll have more about, I, I want to do a full thing about commentary at some point um, in the it. future as well. Um, before we go, let's take a, a look at your matchup with Jay Clark tomorrow. It's it's going to be fun. You are, I believe, third on on court eight. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah, no, it should be a fun match. And obviously, we see the draw. So, you know, added pressure like I've had in the past, but exciting, you know, nonetheless, just to be on the grounds, playing on the grass. It looks unbelievable. Um, yeah, I mean, it's exciting. You know, Wimbledon's one of those things where anything could happen. I mean, if you look in the results few early early uh, upsets so <laughs> Some big ones too good god yeah with Sissipas, vera osaka you know tough so anything could happen dennis kudla uh, earlier today after his win over malik jaziri said uh that the courts are playing incredibly slow he said he said and, and this has taken a lot of criticism online that he thinks it's the slowest slam for sure thoughts Slow is a poor term, um, and I understand what I'm saying. I actually warmed him up today. Played with okay. him two days in a row now. It's a it's a weird term. Yes, the ball slides. It stays low. That's always going to be there. So yes, that speed will be there. But the slowness, it's true. I mean, a normal ball hits you will sometimes just you know sit there and rise up. It's it's a weird idea. It's a weird notion because yes, slices stay low and all of that. So I don't necessarily go with this idea of that's the slowest slam but at the same time yes it's playing a weirdly slow feel to the ball and everything and the movement slow and everything but it's it's still grass and you could still hit some crazy winners serve is still <laughs> you know serve is still there and the slices are still there and yeah we'll see what happens tomorrow okay so not the slowest slam nah it's tough to say 
<laughs> I, can't, I don't know if I can support him on this one, but great win by him. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, and, and Jaziri a little bit hampered as well right now, which, but hey, you take a win if you can get it. Um, real quick, what's the speed difference between Roehampton and Wimbledon? Or are you um, able to notice it? Yeah, so I would definitely say it is, a, it's definitely a little slower. Um, okay. The courts, you know, at Roehampton are, you know, in the back kind of being up. So I guess, you know, it's kind of that clayish feeling that Nadal always loves in the, you know, the end of it, but, you know, still um, a little softer. I mean, that's, that's the best um, adjective I can use, softer. The movement is softer. The ground feels softer. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how it plays. I hope you're on uh, ESPN3 tomorrow because I got to be honest, I'm not going to pay $5 to watch you. I'm not I, worth I, it. I, I, I hope <laughs> nobody pays it. <laughs> I'll refund you. Whoever, whoever <laughs> pays it, I'll refund you. Just give me your Venmo. Okay. Uh, well, I, you know, in that case, I might subscribe. <laughs> uh, have some fun tomorrow. Just promise me that. In, enjoy it. Enjoy the experience. Because yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been a few years for you, and I hope you I hope you have a good time doing it. No, definitely been you know a tough couple months, so I'm happy to be here. I'm ecstatic just to hit a ball, and yeah, I definitely will. Um, so we'll we'll recap it next Monday. As we wrap this up, Coco Goff just won the first set versus Venus Williams. I mean, the youth is is certainly on the rise. But that does it for another edition of the Coffee Cast with Cation and Ruben, powered by Behind the Racket. Again, don't forget, you can always help us start these conversations and continue the conversations. At Mike C. Tennis for me, at Noah Rubin 33 for him. For Noah Rubin, this is Mike Cation signing off. You've been listening to the Coffee Cast with Cation and Ruben, powered by Behind the Racket.